there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Aaron Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, do you remember like five years ago when air plants were everywhere? What's an air plant? It was just a plant that they were like, it doesn't need dirt. It just sits in the air. I knew nothing of this fad. Oh my God. It was all over in gentrified Brooklyn. There'd be these little like pots with air plants in them. Or if you went to a fancy plant store, they'd be like, you can get an air plant. I don't think they were ever real because I don't see them anymore. Anywhere. Seems like they might have died. I think they were always fake. <laughs> I think they all died. I think they all died. They never were going to make it. I mean, Aaron, you and I are plant people and I've never heard of an air plant. So I think it was fake. <laughs> I really fell for it. I had a couple airplanes and I was like, I'm a failure. They've died. No, I'm a <laughs> sucker. I thought they might live. <laughs> this week, we're joined by Monica Potts, Grace Parajani, and Dana Schwartz to take on the following questions. So is Samuel Alito actually friends with that billionaire mega donor? Or does he just go on vacations with strangers? Either way, weird. What's happening to women in rural America? What is it about wedding planning that can make even the most level-headed person lose their shit? And when is a seedless watermelon not seedless? All this and more right now. Welcome to Hysteria, the podcast that has learned from the news this week that if you want to stay out of trouble, do not get on a seafaring vessel with a billionaire. Correct. That's not mean, right? That's not a mean thing to say. No, it's just factually correct. Life lessons. People are getting into trouble this week because of being on boats and seafaring vessels with billionaires. It's the longest day of the year as we record this on the 21st of June. But it is especially the longest day of the year for Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito. On Tuesday night, a very weird stream of consciousness <laughs> first drafty op-ed ran in the Wall Street Journal by the ultra-conservative jurist that attempted to front-run a ProPublica piece about some ethical violations. It was really giving me notes at vibes. It was really like, there's like bullet, I mean, bullet points. It literally was like my notes app. It was notes app vibes. It was like he dictated it into a notes app and then sent it off to the Wall Street Journal. They didn't edit it. They just posted it as is. We'll get more into how weird, sloppy, and big mad the op-ed was later. But needless to say, <laughs> Alito's panic bled through the page. The ProPublica piece published mere hours later revealed that Alito had not disclosed that he'd gotten a free luxury fishing trip to Alaska on billionaire Republican megadonor Paul Singer's dime and his plane back in 2008. The good news is that Alito caught a really big fish on the trip. <laughs> it was huge. There's a picture of him with it. It is, yeah, it's a pretty cool photo. Um, he's holding the fish next to said billionaire. It's like the mother of all Tinder profile pics. 
or anything that the Trump sons take out in the wild. Yeah. Although, I, you know, at least it's not a lion. That's a good point. It was a fish. At least it's not a large jungle cat that was meant to compensate for uh, some masculine insecurities. Okay. But the uh-oh news is that Alito then failed to recuse himself from cases involving singers' companies in the ensuing years, which is a clear ethical violation by a guy who truly never misses an opportunity to be an absolute piece of shit. In his Wall Street Journal op-ed, Alito claimed that it wasn't actually an ethical violation because it just wasn't. So there. He also said he didn't know that Singer's companies were involved in the cases before the court, even though the fact that his companies were involved in cases before the Supreme Court were mentioned on the Wall Street Journal op-ed pages, whatever. He also said he barely knew Singer at all and that his seat on the private jet, this is my favorite, didn't have any value because if he hadn't taken the seat on the private plane, the seat would have just been empty. Alyssa, do any... (laughs) It's like going to the airport and being like, put me on for free. Is this plane full? Okay. I mean, Aaron, it's literally like the standby. Like his argument means that if you're flying standby, you should fly for free (laughs) because the seat would have been empty. (laughs) Like, it's really giving, it's a banana, Michael. What's it cost? $10, like completely out of touch. I have so many things to say about this as a recovering public servant. Okay, Alito. First of all, you got to pick a lane. You have to pick a lane. Either he was your friend and you've known him forever. And that's why you went on the trip because you were just going with a friend and therefore should have recused yourself from aforementioned cases. Or you didn't know him. Therefore, you should have paid for your trip. No one in Washington, D.C. ever would abide the idea that the seat was empty on this mega donor's plane. So I just took it. As a matter of fact, Aaron, going back many, 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 many years, the rule at least used to be that if you were on a plane, this is before our friend Barack Obama got into the Senate because he fucked this up, but good for everybody. But before Barack Obama got involved, you could pay first class equivalent on the flight, right? And that was sort of your, I did my part. And Barack Obama and Harry Reid were like, "Mm, that actually doesn't work either. That's cheating and that's stupid too. But Aaron- You know who else was on the trip? If we want to make it even more innocuous, I guess. Yes. Leonard Leo. What? Head of the Federalist Society. (laughs) Just a trip with some guys. Just kind of helped organize the trip, which, by the way, here's the other thing. It's like all of the backpedaling from Alito because he's like, it's a trip. Well, it's a trip. And he's my friend, but he wasn't really my friend. And then he tried to say which I don't even think Donald Trump would try this, that a $1,000 a night hotel is a rustic accommodation. What? What? How much are we paying Supreme Court justices? Who's keeping track? But you know what? Here's the thing. Disclose it. If you have nothing to hide, fuck, just disclose it. But I just have a hard time imagining... Justice Kagan going on George Soros's plane with the head of NARAL being something that everybody thought was just hilarious and not a big deal. Imagine Sonia Sotomayor hanging out with George Soros. Like, what? When she's just like, the plane seat would have been empty. I mean, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's very bad judgment and very bad judgment. I mean, here. Look, I guess maybe Alito, who did, he authored the um, the Dobbs opinion, right? Almost a year ago. Happy anniversary, Samuel Alito. Hope your June 24th this year is 
just as bad as your June 24th last year was good. (laughs) Fuck this guy forever. He is a total fucking dick. Hypocrite. They are hypocrites. (laughs) And like a little bitch boy. I'm sorry, but the op-ed was such a little bitch boy move. Totally. Because it also, as many people on uh, social media pointed out, for a long time, there has been a curious and mysterious source that the Wall Street Journal had that was inside the Supreme Court or very, very close to the to what was going on in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court justices are not supposed to be blabbing to the press in the run-up to opinions being leaked. They're not supposed to be leaking draft opinions, which I think we maybe know now who did it. I think it might have been Alito. My news witch, ride or die, you have speculated this to be the case for a very long time. I wanted it to be Ginny Thomas because that bitch is insane. Well, that would have been even more delicious, but... It would have been funny if it were Ginny Thomas. It's just like straight up. It's awful that it seems like it was Samuel Alito that was blabbing to the Wall Street Journal. And by writing this really weird op-ed trying to get out in front of this story in ProPublica... He not only kind of Streisand affected himself, which I guess if Streisand effect had appeared on the the pages of uh, the Wall Street Journal op-ed page, maybe (laughs) Alito would be familiar with it. He Streisand affected himself, drew more attention to the story in the first place. Mm -hmm. He also outed himself as someone who is probably leaking to the Wall Street Journal. Someone who's pretty cozy. (laughs) It's like in order to avoid being hit in the face, he punched himself in the balls. Like he did bad judgment, panicky. I don't know what's going to happen because the Supreme Court just gets to police itself. And John Roberts is sort of this like John Roberts got to get on the stick. He has lost control. He is honestly like, have you ever known a really nice person? I'm sure you grew up with somebody like this who was like a really nice guy and had some kids. But the oldest kid was like a real fucking shithead. And the dad is like, I don't know what to do with him. What are we going to do? I got to just let him be a shithead. Raise a shithead. (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, seriously, it's like Alito and Thomas are these two completely unethical shitheads within the court. And Roberts is just like not doing anything. Like, they're acting with complete impunity. I mean, where is the ethics? If I am John Roberts, I'm coming out with the ethics pledge that I am making everybody sign. Like, where is it? It should have come out yesterday. Today. Like, it should have been right after Thomas. You know, I I will say one thing about uh, Alito taking this $100,000 private plane chartered fishing trip to Alaska. He was given an opportunity to fuck the environment over by taking a private plane. He's going to take it. He's going to put an EPA case in front of him. He's going to side against the EPA, side against the Clean Water Act, take a private plane, take a dump on a coral reef, whatever. If there is a way to harm the environment, Samuel (laughs) Alito is in. Also, I wanted to make an abortion joke about how it's like, well, the plane was going to take off anyway, and so I had to carry it to term. But I just was like, I couldn't quite make it. So you guys are getting some BTS. No, but I appreciate the effort. Thank you. I tried, but like smoke started coming out of my ears, and I was like, my brain can't handle all this today. Okay, the Supreme Court's term ends this month, at the end of the month. That's why the end of June is always just like a real rowdy time for people who <laughs> care about America. The next two opinion days are Thursday and Friday. And they have some pretty big decisions that have not yet come down yet. One is affirmative action. There's another one that's coming down about... 
student loan debt. Student loan debt. Yeah. I'm not feeling very good about the remainder of the term. No. I feel like the ICWA ruling last week, which was a good ruling. Yeah. By the way, I hate being like, I gotta hand it to Amy Coney Barrett. No, but we have, I mean, what's fair is fair. She is a very clear writer. Yes. Like, I felt like the opinion was accessible and very, like, straightforward and well-argued. And Justice Kagan does the same thing. I just have to say, she does. And it's like, I always tell you that I feel like I develop a weird form of dyslexia when I'm trying to read opinions, that I have to use the ruler and go line by line and then say to myself, did I understand that sentence? Uh And I got to give her credit because I understood. (laughs) I could read it without my ruler. Right. So we were all celebrating, you know, the ICWA ruling and then also the fact that they kept the Voting Rights Act intact right. by ruling against Alabama, which made some truly wild arguments. Anyway, if they would have let Alabama win that one, it would have been like, truth officially doesn't matter constitutionally. I really think that the ICWA case and the Voting Rights Act opinion both are going to serve as smoke screens for some truly egregious shit that they're doing. Like, they're not as bad as we worried they were, but they did just gut the Clean Water Act. Like, let's not forget that. Yes. They are probably about to completely overturn affirmative action use in colleges. Yep. Race-based affirmative action in colleges. And they're just always taking opportunities to, to like, be pieces of shit. So don't let the loud upside surprises drown out the fact that they're still terrible. Right. And we're happy with with plenty upside surprises. Keep them coming. But we still see you. <laughs> yes, we still see you. Uh, there's another undecided major case that would make it easier for businesses to refuse to provide certain services to LGBTQ customers. A case involving what is it with Colorado and people having businesses there not wanting to do stuff for gay people? Honestly, it all comes back to Colorado. Colorado, what are you doing? I mean, they're so cool otherwise. I mean, for the most part, they're pretty cool otherwise. For the most part. Yeah, what are you guys doing? No state is 100% cool. Yeah, yeah. So stay tuned. We've got two more days of opinions coming. By the time you're listening to this on Thursday, we might already know some of them. And we'll see if Aaron was right. We'll see if I was right. I'm just defaulting to feeling sad. That way, if it's like a surprise, I feel extra good, you know? Yeah. Oh, we got one more quick story. Alyssa, do you want to take it away? I mean, the chickens are coming home to roost this week. Quick story. This, we're only giving him one second, but Aaron, leading candidate for most appalling human to ever exist award, Andrew Tate, self-described misogynist and incel influencer, has been charged with rape human trafficking, and forming an organized crime group. Things we know, but glad to see. The indictment took place in Romania, but the charges named the U.S. and the U.K. I hope they parade this guy around like that Vandersloot kid, taking him from country to country to face everything that he is being charged with. Mm -hmm. The U.S. and U.K.'s other places where they trafficked and subsequently sexually exploited women. The legal battle has a long road ahead. The trial doesn't even have a start date yet, and it's expected to last years. The Tate brothers were first arrested at their Bucharest home in December. In March, they were moved from custody to house arrest following a ruling by a Romanian judge. Blessedly, there are separate charges still under investigation that could lead to indictments on money laundering and trafficking of minors. Fuck those guys. (laughs) What pieces of shit? Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, Andrew Tate's a real piece of shit. I wish he would get on a seafaring vessel with a billionaire. Enjoy jail, you dick.
Welcome back to Hysteria, the podcast that has an affinity for heavy metal and fresh herbs. We are so excited for this next interview. All summer, we are going to be recommending our favorite summer reads and maybe also, if we're lucky, interviewing the authors themselves. So today, we're kicking off our first book recommendation with our next guest. Our next guest is a writer from Arkansas. She is a senior politics reporter for 538, and her book, The Forgotten Girls, is out now. Monica Potts, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Monica, to start, I want to read just a quick excerpt from your book, Forgotten Girls, which is beautifully written, by the way. I loved it. Thank you. When it came to liquor, there were two modes in Clinton, alcoholism or abstinence. This paralleled the bifurcated morality I saw everywhere. Girls were either virgins or whores. Students were either geniuses or failures. You could go to church or you could be a sinner. The town seemed to operate in two modes, the buttoned-up propriety of the churchgoers who held power in the county versus the rowdy hillbillies and families like my dad's. The rigid divide allowed no room for subtleties or missteps. So that passage and so many passages from this book hit me really hard because I'm from a small town that's kind of similar in size and deterioration to yours, although it's in a different part of the country. Monica, when did you realize that the story of girls and women in your Arkansas hometown was one that was silently occurring across America? I would say it's about 10 years ago. I started to see studies started in 2012 in health affairs that the least educated white people in the country, especially women, were losing life expectancy. And that's really unusual. It's really unusual to see groups moving backward as far as life expectancy goes. Most of the time we get healthier, we get access to better medicine. So I saw those statistics and then I saw a bunch of other statistics that had a lot to do with substance use disorders, alcohol use, and suicides. And they were called deaths of despair by Anne Case and Angus Deaton, two economists at Princeton. So I started to think about that phenomenon and I realized that it was affecting people like I had grown up with in my hometown than in some ways I had left behind when I went to college when I was 18 um, outside of the state. And I wanted to come home and I wanted to find out what was happening and I wanted to find the kinds of women whose story I could tell who might shed light on some of the issues they were facing and also potentially help. And so that's when I came home and it it turned out that it was always going to be a personal story about me and my best friend from childhood. So how has the book's release been? It's been out for a month. Have you heard from other women in different parts of the country? Did it strike a chord? Yes, I have had, I can't even tell you how many emails from people who grew up in small towns around the country, especially the South and the Midwest, I would say, who tell me that it's their story. It's the story of people they know. It's very much like their hometown. It just really struck a chord with them, I think. What was it like studying your hometown and the people you grew up with so closely. Were you worried that like the subjects in your book would not like what you wrote about them? And how did that go? Did you did anybody reach out and say like, wait a minute, Monica, what's going on here? (laughs) Well, I'll say that my mom and Darcy both liked the book and they've been really supportive. So I've heard a lot from them. And that really how Darcy felt about it meant the most to me because she really was somebody who I cared a great deal about and wanted to portray fairly. And so it was weird, though, to be back. But I realized I kept 13 journals for most of my adolescence, from the time I was 10 to about the time I was 21, almost graduating from college, I realized that I had always been studying people. I just didn't realize it. I was always kind of a quiet, introspective person. I was always watching the world around me and trying to make sense of it. And so I think that that was, without me knowing it, early training to be a journalist. And as a journalist, you always think a lot about what you're seeing, how other people see it, whether those two things are going to mash up. And at some point, you can't really think about it 
it too much. You have to just be true to what you're seeing and what your research has shown. So I had to let those kinds of concerns go. You write about your dad and drinking too much. And that must have been like a a tough thing to be that public and open about. Did you feel like the process of being honest about something that traumatic was kind of healing? I think it has been now. It was a really hard book to write emotionally, and it took me to some deep places that I hadn't revisited in a lot of years. My dad died in 2006. I think I always knew he was an alcoholic. Once he died, I really realized how alcohol had affected his life in a negative way. And I wanted to come to terms with that. And so I do think I have closure on that now. That's great. The central question of your book is, why are rural women dying so young? Like you mentioned, why are they losing life? What answers did you find? And did you come up with any kind of concrete steps that local and state governments can take to help? I think... One of the things I found, it's a really hard question, and I spent five years trying to answer it, and I don't know if I fully did. But I think some of the reasons are that women are expected to carry this burden of caring for their communities at the same time that they're not given a lot of freedom to realize who they are and be who they are. Um, In my community, it's very religious. It's very conservative. Women are sort of expected to be helpmates for their future husbands. They're expected to do things that are centered around child rearing. They're expected to be mothers first. And those things can be great, but it can mean that what your own goals are for your own life, you have to scale back a little bit. You have to rein in your own dreams. I think that has a huge psychic cost. And at the same time, women are expected to step forward and be the caregivers for their community and hold people together. And when a community is falling apart, that's nearly an impossible job. So I think the kind of psychic damage that that does is part of what's happening and part of what's leading people to substance use disorders and alcohol use and some of the other problems that have been identified. You also talk about rural brain drain in your book. Can you describe what you mean by that? Mm -hmm. So there's a phenomenon where people aren't expected necessarily to go too far away, but they tell you, this is still true, I interviewed two 2019 grads, but when you're growing up, you want a job, you want a good job, people will say, well, you have to go away, you have to get an education, and those other bigger towns are where you're going to find the best jobs and the best careers, and you have to do that. You can come back later when you establish yourself, but you have to go away. People tend to go away and they tend not to come back. And that means that there are a lot of young people missing from a lot of small communities around the country. You see it across rural America. That means they're not getting married here. They're not starting their businesses here. They're not raising their children here. And so there's just kind of this downward spiral that starts to happen when you're missing that chunk of people in that community. So... That's the rural brain drain is that the most ambitious people, the people who succeed the most in school, feel like they have to go away to succeed. And there's a kind of negative connotation associated with staying behind, which it shouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Yeah, it's so interesting that I grew up in Wisconsin. You're from Arkansas, very different places culturally, physically, everything very different. But the exact phenomenon happened in my class the kids who stayed behind, even though, you know, you're not a better or worse person for choosing to leave or not leave. It's like there's a weird stigma and almost an associated defensiveness around the stigma. And it's really interesting to find out that it happens in so many different places. You and I also left rural life for more metropolitan lifestyles when we turned 18. So are we part of the problem, Monica? 
Should we have stayed behind? I think some people think so, but I will say that I think it's really useful to go away and to find out how other places operate and how other people live. I like cities. I think cities are good places to live. You have to learn how to live with people who aren't like you and come from different places and live their lives in different ways and have different cultures. And you learn to get along with a lot of people. I think those are really valuable skills. And so I think that if people could get those and then bring those back to small towns or move into small towns from other places, then small towns might have a little more dynamism when it comes to those kinds of things. I think it's bad when places get too insular and disconnected from the broader world, which is what I see happening in a lot of small towns. And you worked on the book in Arkansas. Would you ever want to move back to Arkansas on a more permanent basis? I've been here for five years now, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm still in Arkansas, and I'm not the kind of person who stays in one place that has more to do with me than it does to do with Arkansas, so I don't think I'm going to stay back for a long time, but I was excited to come back to work on the book when I came because... I am from this place. I have deep roots in this community. And there are aspects of life here that I really love and feel like home like nowhere else ever will. So I wanted that connection again. I wanted to think about it again. And I wanted to kind of have closure on my relationship with this place as well. I always found it to be interesting and a little bit irksome that there's a trope in entertainment that a person from a small town going back It's always this like fun little jaunt. Like there's, you know, the high school hottie that you dated is now an adult hottie. And he's, you know, whatever. It's a Sweet Home Alabama situation or it's a Lifetime original movie. You're going back to Christmas town and everybody's happy. And I really appreciated the fact that you kind of (laughs) pulled the wool. Like you were like, no, this is actually hard and it's not like romanticized and there are things that you have to face that have changed that are not necessarily good and that sometimes you have to experience trauma when you go back to where you came from. It was like the anti-Hallmark holiday classic movie and I mean that in the best way possible. What's next for you in your writing journey? I'm not sure. I'm experiencing this book being out in the world after working on it. And I'm working in my day job at 538. And I'm thinking about the next election and what it means for the country. So those are the kinds of things I'm working on now. Yeah. Thinking about what 2024 means for the country is like a part-time job at this point. So I, I totally get it. Monica Potts, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for writing the book. Her book, The Forgotten Girls, is available wherever you buy books. So thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about something that has taken down powerful women, absolutely powerful women, and just driven them to the brink of insanity. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. 
Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put a a blazer and like— Denim shirt. Denim Denim shirt, blazer, leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. That's perfect. He is like I think my my dad is one of those people that just like beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're— 
they look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, Ugh. Um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now. And I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip. And they still looked great. It was like, Dad, your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. <laughs> Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast that aims to be a fabulous beach caftan for your soul. Thank you. (laughs) Alyssa, do you have a fabulous beach caftan? Something tells me you do. I have a caftan for every occasion. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a formal caftan. I have so many. Uh, Speaking of formal caftans, we're going to talk about wedding planning this episode. You know, I always thought that June was the month that people got married. And turns out that it's not. I was wrong about a lot of things. I'm going to bring in our panel so that we can discuss all the ways in which we are all wrong or right. First up, you can listen to her podcast, Noble Blood, for all the latest on history's most fascinating royals. It's podcaster, author, and TikTokress, Dana Schwartz. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. TikTokress? You don't like, is that? TikTokress. It's honestly just like TikTok feels like a necessary evil of trying to write young adult novels. I'm like, that's where the kids are. I guess I have to do it. <laughs> oh, man. That quote out of context might sound a little creepy. Up, yeah. next, <laughs> up next, she's a writer and producer, and season four of her show, Solar Opposites, comes back on August 14th. It's our resident nervous little pepper, Grace Parajani. Written well before the writer's strike, by the way, which we are into week eight of. Oh, my Lord, you guys. Oh, Lord. God. Think it's gonna last a really long time. I think so too. How's everybody? I think three out of four of us here are WGA members. How's everybody doing mentally? Mental check in. I would say that the nervous part of nervous, uh, spicy little pepper is definitely uh, has definitely increased in the last few weeks. Um, I don't love it. I wish it wasn't happening, but it's a it, it's necessary. But I wish it wasn't happening this long. It's like TikTok. It's like being on TikTok as a young adult author. It's a necessary evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw a bunch of people on TikTok speaking of talking about how like the new season of Black Mirror on Netflix predicted the writer's strike. Oh, <laughs> my God. It's like, yeah, because writers, writers write the shows that you watch. That's 
That's what, that's what happens. Writers write the thing. Okay, but whatever. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Let's. I want to talk about wedding planning because it's June, it's summer, and also because I think when the show started, Alyssa, you were the only one that was married when the yeah. show started, and now we've just been dropping like flies. Like every almost <laughs> very few <laughs> left. Yeah, just very few unmarried ladies left in the hysteria sphere. But that means we've all been through the kind of formative experience of wedding planning and trying to pull a wedding off, what works and what doesn't, and what the industry looks like. The last time we had a conversation about weddings was back in July 2019. Um, How has your perspective, Dana, on the wedding industrial complex and wedding planning in general changed since 2019? Oh. Yeah, so I got uh, married last September in Los Angeles, and I would say I was never one of those like fantasizing about a big wedding girls. Like I had, I had no preconceived notions about what I wanted a wedding to be. I was like, look, I want a chuppah, I want a first dance, I want you know a, a man that I'm in love with, and that's really all I need. And so when we started planning our wedding, I feel like I had it in my mind that I would just have this like, let's just have this like classic minimalist wedding. But it turns out the machine is is so far ahead of me to like just have what you think is a quote unquote basic wedding of just like 100 plus people in a room eating dinner and dancing. They just think of everything and there's no way to like rent or no way that I could figure out how to like rent a space and and have a ceremony and do all those things without spending like an obs- what I would have thought was an obscene amount of money. And then after the wedding being like, I guess that's just what they cost. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dana, well, Dana, you got married in 2022, which was a record yeah. year for U.S. weddings. 2.6 million people got married. Uh, 2.6 2. Yeah, million couples. We all fell in love during the pandemic. And then we were like, <laughs> yeah. well, let's get together. Let's have a party. Let's lock this down before there's another pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I mean, record setting wedding year. Um, I'm like kind of past the age when I thought I would be going to a lot of weddings. You know, the, the, the you know, assumption is between 25 and 35 is when everybody gets married. But it is not slowed down. It is just kept on going. Um, and 2022, a lot of people had to cancel 2020 weddings. And rather than doing what my husband and I did, which was just be like, fuck it, we're doing it outside. Um, we, a lot of people just rescheduled and their venues would just kind of jam them all in in 2021 and 2022. And that's sort of what happened. Alyssa, the most time has passed between when you have gotten married and like you've been married the longest. Yes. Have you noticed the wedding industry becoming like crazier since you got married? Do you look back and think like, oh, things weren't that complicated when I did this? Things, no, things definitely, they were very expensive, but they were not, they didn't seem as complicated. I feel like now there's so much, if you don't have it at your wedding, you're like, oh, they didn't have a photo booth or they didn't have the food truck that comes at the end and feeds you when you're done. I mean, it just seems like there is so much, like I heard someone talking because I have a lot of here in upstate New York, I know a couple of folks that have food trucks and they're booked for the whole summer already because people come up and they have like the, like the thing I think is hilarious is that like, I think back in the eighties and nineties, it was like, just do it up, have the ballroom at the plaza. Like, but now having an outdoor wedding that's supposed to be simple feels like it's more 
more expensive and more complicated than doing something that actually seems more posh. And so yeah. I feel like, especially being at what I think now is a, a wedding destination location, I see, uh, I see a lot up here and it's, there are just tents being built in the middle of fields. And I'm just like, you guys, they're ticks. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And what those people don't realize is like, it would be cheaper probably with all those moving parts. Like the cost of erecting a tent and getting that support staff. I will say there was one wedding that I was obsessed with, which was down the road from me, where not only did they clear a field and erect a tent and a floor and have air conditioning and all that shit, people camped out overnight. And I was like, all right, that's dedication. That's at least, you know. As part of the wedding weekend, like this is the experience. Yeah, they they camped. And I was like, and we we all took excuses to like walk slowly past the field to see what was going on. But (laughs) you really really have to love love a friend to to sleep in a field for them. With ticks. <laughs> By the way, the, the thing about the outdoor wedding experience that that we found in trying to, to plan ours in Los Angeles, you do dream of the beach, the beachy wedding. But finding a private beach where there won't be interlopers to like creep on your wedding is re- Alyssa style is like really, yeah. it's really, it's really hard. And there's so many. It's not possible. That, it's not possible. It's simply yeah. not possible. It's yeah. simply not possible. I think that there's like a law that that you can't just have a private beach. Yeah. Like you can't not it. You have to. And there's there's like all rich people in California over and over again try to like circumvent the law by like building their property all so it's like impossible for people to access the beach and they get in trouble over and over yep, again. Yep, yep, like yep. if there's a an ocean beach, it has to be publicly accessible, which is which is absolutely wild. Grace, I have a trivia question about weddings for you. Okay. What do you think is the um, most popular day to get married in 2023? Gotta be a Saturday. Well, right. It's a Saturday. Oh. And guess what month it's in? Oh, 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 month. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with September. You're right. September <gasps> really? 23rd. September 23rd, 2023 is the most popular day to get married, according to The Knot okay. this year. And I, I think it's because couples like kind of cheeky little like numeric tricks in there. It's because it would be 92323. 92323. There you go. Yeah. In 2022, the most popular day was October 22nd, 2022. Right. People wanted to People have the sneaky. interesting too. Yeah, I mean, I I guess we picked 10 9 20, but cuz I wanted 10 10, but it was cheaper <laughs> to just do it on the Friday <laughs> instead. We did 11 22, which to this day my mom's like, "Why'd you get married on the day that JFK was shot?" <laughs> <laughs> We did nine four, but just because we found our venue and they're like, we have two dates left <laughs> yeah, for yeah. 2022. And we're like, yep, there it is. Done. We initially picked 9-26-2020. And then because of COVID, we, you know, changed our date to 2021. So I'm all forever confused whether it's 9-25 or 9-26. I don't know. And there's a there's like a, <laughs> a safe that we have that we keep like passports in in our house. I shouldn't be giving this away. Now I have to change my password. But oh, you know, yeah. I really do. It's it's something, it's some numerical order of the of those dates, and I always get it wrong. I know this. Oh my gosh. Okay. Alyssa, I am going to mm. give you a trivia question. Um okay. 
Okay. Well, the answer to this question is obvious. So I'm going to ask you the the second most expensive place to get married in the U.S., metro area-wise. The most expensive, obviously, New York City, because it costs uh, $15 to access a bathroom where you can take a poop in New York City. (laughs) Um, So weddings are insanely expensive. But what do you think is number two out of major metropolitan areas in the U.S.? San Francisco? It is San Francisco. Oh, good. Oh, great. (laughs) The average cost of a wedding in New York City is $60,000. Six zero 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 zero. Yeah. In San Francisco and San Jose, it's $54,000. In Boston, Massachusetts, $50,000. And in Chicago, Illinois, surprisingly, $47,000. Oh, not surprising to see (laughs) my little sisters planning a wedding right now. Ooh, ooh, yeah, that's... That's sticker shock. I would say, Dana, before you were planning a wedding for yourself, when you saw figures like this, were you like, how the fuck is that possible? Oh, my God. If I could go back in time two years and tell myself what number we spent on flowers. Yeah. Like, I spent more money on flowers than I've spent on a car. (laughs) <laughs> and the fact that I had to say, and I, we had to like beg our florist, like we had like at our centerpiece, like books, because we're like, just fill it out with like a lot of greenery, like every tip of like how to reduce cost. It was like greenery, like the centerpieces should be like books. And we're like, as as cheap as you can do it. And it was like, still insane. Yeah. Yeah. Reusing them, moving them around during the ceremony <laughs> so that... <laughs> You can have like the same 10 pieces <laughs> that then get shifted to tables for dinner. Yeah, you got to do all that. <laughs> yeah. The, Dana, for what it's worth, I was at your wedding and it didn't look like you'd cut any corners at all. It was very <laughs> oh, well, thank luxurious you very and, and very nice. Um, yeah. I mean, flowers are one of the surprise expenses. Grace, was there an expense that you were just like, how can this be this expensive. So we were down to the wire September 2021 in Los Angeles is still hot. The big thing and Dana Dana and I actually by the way got married at the same venue in Los Angeles. Beautiful, loved it. Very worth it. Cuz we found the best one. Found the best one. That's yeah. gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's, we love it. Um but uh very hot in Los Angeles. One thing we didn't know was could we do the ceremony without AC? And we were told we can wait until up to, I think, four days before the ceremony to figure out what the temperature is going to be to determine if we absolutely need the AC or not. And we would go to the venue and like creep around every day leading up to that four day mark to figure out (laughs) if we could get away, possibly get away with not doing the AC. And we ended up in a sweet spot where we didn't have to rent it, which was a delight because it was thousands of dollars. It was thousands of dollars to turn the AC on in this one room, by the way, because you have like the space where people do the ceremony to get married. Then you've got a courtyard, which is outside. We figured that would be fine. And then there's one additional room where people have dinner, which was going to have AC. But for the ceremony itself, it was like thousands of thousands of dollars to put the AC on. And we didn't go for it. And we were really nervous about it. It ended up being fine. But that was an expense that I was not anticipating having to like freak out about the week of my wedding. Yeah. Grace, I have a small anecdote about that. Yes. So the week of our wedding was the hottest week in Los oh, Angeles. No. Oh, no. It oh. was 105 degrees. Oh, oh my God. It oh was the, God. That, truly the hottest week in L.A. And it was, you know, September. We were like, it'll be fine. Yeah. And we were going to do this whole, like, indoor-outdoor wedding. It was like, no, it's too hot even to go outside. Yeah. Um, I had remembered in our contract for the venue, because they it's like thousands of dollars for, for air conditioning, yeah. but... In like the fine print, it was like, 
if the temperature is over 80 degrees, <gasps> we'll do air conditioning for free. <sighs> and so every single week I'd be like, it looks like it's going to be over 80. looks like it's going to be over 80. <laughs> and I like made sure that they were on the record as saying like, okay, well, do it for free. And then I had a friend book a wedding at the exact same venue. And she said that that clause was no longer in the contract. <laughs> oh, no. That's funny. My gosh. Oh, my Alyssa, gosh. what was the biggest sticker shock for you with your wedding? I know that you kind of did a, a like scaled down thing. Oh, we didn't do a wedding. We, because I lost my mind about how expensive everything was, I became a crazy person. And I was like, I mean, you guys know me. Like, you see, I, I wear ratty t-shirts. Like, and I was looking at Vera Wang dresses that were poofy with black bows. And I'm like, I've lost the thread here. This is not who I am. And so my husband and I went out to then fiance, went to dinner at our favorite Chinese restaurant, which has paper placements. So you could like write on them. So I was like, you know what? We don't even know like what our guest list would be. And I wrote my guest list and he was still going. And I was like, I was not aware I was marrying a Kardashian. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) And so by the time we had the guest list, it was like 200 plus people, which no. But anyway, I went through the motions and the venues without food in Washington, D.C. were so over the top expensive that I was like, I'd rather go on a great honeymoon than pay for a wedding. And so we didn't have a wedding. Did anybody get upset about it? Did anybody give you shit about it? No, no one in my family has ever had a wedding. My parents eloped. My sister had a dinner, but she didn't have a wedding. And me. And my own mano, like nobody had ever really had a wedding. We're odd. We're an odd bunch. Wow. Probably some therapy would reveal reasons why none of us have ever had a wedding. Oh. You're like <laughs> but the, no. the Hemingway family, but instead of being cursed, you just don't have weddings. We just don't have weddings. And so <laughs> we uh, we were going to get married down at the court um, at City Hall in D.C. And then luckily, my girlfriend, Danielle Gray, who was in the counsel's office at the time, was like, uh, girl, you know, you helped confirm like Supreme Court justices. One of them can just marry you. So that's what we did. That was it <laughs> on a Friday. And you didn't even have to buy the Supreme Court justice either. <laughs> no, I just got to go. You got yours for free. I got mine for free. I didn't need a private plane. I really love that path. And it, it taps into something that I, I, I don't know if you guys have found that I do feel like is a big issue with the expansion of the wedding industrial complex. The wedding weekend becomes so much more than just the ceremony yes. itself. I found that another expense that we incurred kind of unexpectedly was the dress, re- the rehearsal dinner, like night before party that ended up being amazing and we're so glad that we did it but like it in other weddings that we've been to it becomes like a second wedding and over the course Mm -hmm. of the wedding weekend and trying to make sure that all your guests who are coming in from out of town are taken care of there's something for them to do there's food around you end up planning like multiple ceremonies multiple events through the weekend that it it just it balloons in cost and I don't remember that really being the case in weddings that I went to as a kid I feel like maybe there was a rehearsal dinner for like 15 or 20 people the night before yeah, for like the bridal party. For the bridal party. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But yeah. now it's like... Then it became everybody who comes in from out of town. Yep. And then it's like, now it's just like junior wedding the night before. Yes. Mm-hmm. You just saying this is like a clench in my heart. Like I'm realizing <laughs> I have like real PTSD. Like <laughs> like I, my body temperature just rose and I started shaking. It was so stressful because both my family and my husband's family were coming in from out of town And my family, we're from like the North Shore of Chicago, which is like a a big Jewish suburb area. And I think there were just like expectations of what weddings are and what they look like. 
Um, and so it's like the things that were sort of expected of me, even though I was doing it remotely, were the big rehearsal dinner for everyone coming out of town. And since we were like, we can't afford that, we can't do that, we can't find a place in L.A. big enough, then it was like, OK, well, then you have to have a welcome lunch. And then it's like, and then what about a gracious brunch, you know, the morning after to say goodbye to all the people? And it was just like the moving parts like I'm my upper lip is sweating just <laughs> thinking about it I yeah. hated it so I hated planning my wedding I really did we had a ghost wedding because we were supposed to get married in May of 2020 and the week or maybe like two weeks after we sent out our save the dates or we started sending out invitations that oh my god we had like done all these like personal touches and had these my my friend Jack is like a graphic designer and he, as his wedding gift to us, he like designed these really beautiful invitations and like ordered oh. the paper. And like, that was his gift. It was so nice. Like if you, one cool thing about waiting until you're older to get married is that you have friends who can like, you already have all the stuff that you need, like in your right. kitchen or whatever, but you have friends that are like, oh, you know what? I've got a flower shop. I can, you know, I can chip in some, I can give you your bouquet, you know, or like I'm a graphic designer. I can design the invitations. Like that is, was real. it was really cool. And we had a friend who, or we still have a friend who owns like a, um, an events company that does like sound and light production. And so his wedding gift to us was to lend us all of the equipment needed for like the reception dance thing. So we wouldn't That's have amazing. had to pay for that. Which is such a like generous, lovely gift. Right. We had all these moving pieces and we had planned everything and then pandemic hit. And a couple of weeks later, our venue was like, we're canceling all events until 2021. And we were like, okay. Like we tried to reschedule it for that October, but it was like, there's not going to be any like large events, even though our ceremony was going to be outdoors. And so like, we have this like ghost anniversary that was supposed to be our wedding, you know, (laughs) this anniversary date that was supposed, that's in a bunch of my passwords for things that I've, you know, (laughs) since like changed because, you know, passwords get breached all the time. But it's like so weird because I got, I did all of it and it feels like a dream. Like I, I, I had my, I bought two dresses and I had them tailored and I, you know, did all the the stuff. Like we were, we, I had an idea, you know, I was going to change into one for the dancing part of the reception. And like, we had everything planned. And then we just had to just be like, okay, never mind. And (laughs) ultimately we did something that was like completely outdoors with immediate family only. And um, it was beautiful. And it was, it, we saved like tens of thousands of dollars by doing it. Like, and, and now looking back, I I wish that we could have had the chance to have our big wedding in LA because my friends still, most of them haven't met Josh. Um, and now we're like married and have a child that is talking. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I, I would like to, to put one out there. Like, there was stress about our guest list. There's stress about everybody's guest list because you can never invite everybody you want to invite. And your significant other always wants to invite somebody that you're like, I don't want them there. <laughs> like, I would prefer not to. Do we have to use an invite on this person? I don't want this person. I don't really like this person. Whatever. Um, and this way, it just kind of completely alleviated it. It was like a loping plus like a dollop of immediate family. And it just really, it was like, it was good. Um, and we didn't have to spend all that money. But I still am like, man, I did all that stuff. Like, I wasted all that energy. It's like building a sandcastle and just, like, knocking it down before anybody sees it. It was it was wild. 
The second dress stress is something that I also didn't anticipate feeling anxious about and ended up feeling really like I hated I don't like what I wore as my second outfit and I felt a lot of Your pressure. Your second to try outfit was awesome. It was that's very sweet. It was awesome. It's, I, it's very sweet. I, I was I was really torn on it. I don't know. It was I was stressing about it because I as well got married in the middle of the pandemic and ended up doing a civil ceremony in 2020 and not doing the big the big wedding until 2021. Uh, and and so I had the second outfit and I held on to it for all that time and I was like, this is gonna be great. It's gonna be great. And then my love for it just dissipated as time went on. And I felt <laughs> and I was like, why did I why did I even change? There is a pressure. That's another way in which the industrial complex gets us to like, we don't need a second outfit. Like our dress is going to be beautiful as it is. Why do we need to change? I felt so much pressure. I don't know if you guys felt the same way. I changed and I felt bad that I changed. Yeah. I ended up being very insecure about the dress that I ended up wearing for my wedding, but it was so hot that day. And even though it was like a sleeveless dress, it was sort of thick and heavy that I just, ch- I brought a white dress that I already owned and just changed into that for the reception. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> but you were comfortable. So like. I was yeah. so much more comfortable. Looking back on your weddings, what would you change, if anything? Like, even if it's just not stressing about something, what would you change about your wedding if you could change anything? Alyssa, I'll start with you. I would have taken a Xanax that morning (laughs) because I, even though we did not have like a big wedding, getting married is still stressful, you guys. And I was a major fucking asshole the day that we got married, like a major asshole. And I would have had a better plan for my hair because I went to my hair place and I got a bit bullied into doing something with my hair that then I didn't look like myself and I cried and then they felt bad. And I was like, please just let me go home. I think the whole thing would have been resolved with a Xanax around 10 in the morning. (laughs) So that's what I wish I had done because I'll tell you the fact, the way I acted all day, it is a a badge of honor that DK fucking married me at the end of the day because Mm -hmm. I was an asshole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got a haze at the last minute. You got to haze them. Make sure they're up to it. It's like um, the the final day of boot camp. You got to really put them through. <laughs> he literally gave me beautiful diamond earrings. And I looked at him and I go, I didn't get you anything. That's all diamond I said. Earrings. Not thank you. I said, I didn't get you anything because I'm a dick. I was that day anyway. I'm actually a lovely person. But that day, <laughs> no. By the time, let me tell you something. By the time we actually said our vows... Elena Kagan or one of the other justices had brought some champagne in. I was like, give it to me in my mouth. Like I just <laughs> need it all right now. <laughs> oh, man. So that's what I would have taken a Xanax. That's what I would have done differently. Grace, what would you have changed, if anything? Uh, there's one very specific thing I would have changed. I don't think that I got to say hello to everybody the day of my wedding because we hadn't planned to go from table to table, which I think is kind of a tradition. And it's one that I would highly recommend that you build into your night at some point where the the, the couple uh, go from table to table to say hello actively during dinner time, because there is so much chaos. It is so stressful. You've got everybody that you love in one room and you've also got a lot of like responsibilities and duties and stuff. And there's like, a, I mean, you guys have seen the the calendar, the like to do list of, of like minute to minute, how things are planned out. There's like no wiggle. Room. Oh. So unless you build that in, you don't necessarily get to say hi to every single person at your own wedding, which feels insane. And yet that is, that is something that happened. We didn't get to say hello to everybody. So I would definitely, uh, I, I regret that. That's one thing that I regret. Uh, Dana, what about you? To be honest, like planning my wedding was not good memories for me. It was like a really stressful period of my life, like really stressful dealing with my family. I was like, 
I had to turn in edits of my book like the week before my wedding, which was also crazy. And also like I had a full time job also. So it was like I... I I wasn't happy. I guess, honestly, I either would have pushed my wedding like six months further or I would have just been like, we just have to do like the things that matter to me are the rabbi and Ian and just like hearing our vows and dancing together. I would have been like, we're just doing something with 50 people like because I can't plan this or I just would have thrown my hands up. But like I loved my wedding and I'm glad we did it. But like planning it was was not good times for me. I'm not built for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got to say, um, ta- I'm talking about my ghost wedding here. Um, <laughs> I, when I started planning, I wanted to do something small and simple and it just completely, it just, you get, it's like being past the event horizon of a black hole and <laughs> you just get sucked in and there's no pulling yourself back. And I yeah. wish that there were, I wish that I had, had like a future me sitting on my shoulder, you know, not being like, Hey, there's going to be a pandemic, but future, future me sitting <laughs> on my shoulder being like, you don't, you don't have to do any of this. You don't have to do any of this. You can like do less. You can do less. You can do a small wedding. You can do whatever. And um, allowed myself to kind of like, because I was like in on the like ghost wedding. Like we were doing all this stuff. And uh, I kind of wish that I would have planned something that was less complicated and uh, it would have saved me some stress. I think that's that's my that's my big regret. But then we didn't have to worry about it anyway. I, I would say if you're thinking about having a wedding and it's making you want to crawl into a hole uh, or Grace's wedding anniversary safe and lock yourself in, (laughs) Um, you should consider the fact that a lot of like really nice hotels and resorts, especially in like smaller towns, will do like elopement packages where you can Mm -hmm. get dressed up and have a photographer take pictures of you and your spouse and have like a really romantic, lovely weekend. And you don't need to like have a guest list at all. So do you. Social media has really put the pressure on for weddings. Yeah. Because if you don't have X and Y and Z for pictures, like you're just going to co- keep comparing yourself to the Joneses. Yeah. But yeah. And delete it's, Instagram it's de- from your phone. Deadly. Delete Instagram yeah. from your phone while you're planning your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. 
That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. And welcome back. You are listening to Hysteria, the podcast that told you so. Before we get to Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty, some announcements for the class. Wellness isn't just about mindfulness, exercise, or having the perfect skin. Everything around us interacts to shape our health. On America Dissected, Dr. Abdul El Syed is joined by experts in politics, media, culture, and science to explore what's really making us sick and the forces we'll need to take on to keep us all healthy. From insulin price gouging to ineffective sunscreens, America Dissected cuts deeper into the state of health in America. Ineffective sunscreens? What? I can't. Oh, God. (laughs) That's going to ruin my day. Me too. Thanks a lot, Dr. Abdul Al-Sayed. Find America Dissected wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Monday. Looking for a podcast that caters to both horror buffs and scaredy cats? Look no further than Ruined. Hosted by horror aficionado and love it or leave it head writer Hallie Kiefer and her squeamish friend and co-host Allison Leiby. Ruined unpacks a different horror movie every week from bone-chilling slashers to spine-tingling supernatural flicks. Erin, do you think they're going to cover E.T., which was my first horror movie? (laughs) No. I feel like maybe you need a ruined junior. Junior? I need ruined with training wheels. (laughs) Uh, There is a new Ari Aster movie coming out, and I'm sure they'll probably ruin that. And for those of you like Allison who are too scared to watch Fear Not, Hallie will ruin the movie for you. (laughs) Tune into Ruined every Tuesday for your weekly dose of horror available on all major podcast platforms. Don't miss out on all the spooky fun. Okay, now let's get to it. Alyssa, Sanity Corner, or are you feeling petty this week? Sanity Corner for me. Nice. So you guys know we were actually joking about jam bands earlier. I went and saw Stevie Nicks last week. And let me tell you something. She is so aspirational. The show brought me to tears. But mostly what I want to say is so you guys hold me accountable as I age. If I am not carrying around a tambourine with ribbons when I'm in my 70s, tell me I have failed at life. Tell me I have failed. Be like, Alyssa, this was what you said, and we were waiting for it. A tambourine with ribbons, because you know I already got the capes. You know I have the capes. I will grow my Belladonna hair out. I'm already trying. But honestly, you're not living if you don't have a tambourine with ribbons. It was like I was fixated by it. Everyone that we were with was like talking and chatting. I was fixated like I think I don't I don't know who like someone when they met the Beatles for the first time. I couldn't get enough of her. The tribute to Tom Petty, Christine McVie. But honestly, the tambourine, when she brought it out for the edge of 17, I was like, I have died. I have gone to heaven and I'm going to start tying (laughs) ribbons on a tambourine, which I will bring to the farmer's market. I will bring on this podcast if we're still doing it in 30 years. But anyway, that is it. It brought me she brought me incredible joy. But that fucking tambourine with all the ribbons was like 
other level. It was so aspirational. So anyway. Oh my God. Alyssa, my favorite thing about you, I knew that you were on your way to the concert and you sent a picture of your husband oh, yeah. dressed like he was about to attend a job fair at Wharton Business School. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For a Stevie Nicks concert. It's like he was going to have his own booth. I was 100% I was in my Stevie Nicks sweatshirt. I was ready to go. And he was like, okay, let's go. And he was like, so cute and tidy with his button down shirt and a crew neck over it. Also, I do not know how he wasn't hot, but it was a joy and we had a great time. But also concerts are really hard once you get older. You're like, shit, this is really complicated. Why didn't it feel complicated 15 years ago? Yeah, yeah, that's that's real. That's real. Okay, Uh, I feel petty this week. I've got an I feel petty. I feel petty. Give us something yeah. good. It's about Samuel Alito, and I feel like he's earned it because he's such a fucking asshole. Yeah. He deserves it. We talked about him a lot in news. I want to point something out about the photo of him with billionaire Paul Singer and another one of his rich fishing buddies in Alaska. Okay. So fellow panelists, go ahead and pull up that ProPublica article. There's a picture on the top of it, which is Alito in the middle flanked by these two guys. I just want to... okay. They're outside. They're holding fish. Have you all ever been fishing before, right? Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just want you to go ahead and take, well, imagine fishing. Like imagine the sensations of fishing, like what you would do. Look at their outfits. What is missing from their outfits? Dirt. Oh. Dirt. (gasps) Yeah, you're right. You're right. They're They're not not even wet. wet. Why are their fancy clothes, fishing clothes, so clean? Dry as a bone. Their pants aren't even wet. They didn't do that fishing. They didn't catch those salmon. They didn't catch those salmon. Someone on the boat caught them. (laughs) This is the first time Alito has touched the salmon. Unless the only place that the salmon, I'm going to, I'm like Zapruder filming this. Unless the salmon had only touched him in the stomach area and hands, why is his jacket, his cherry red jacket, so pristine? It doesn't make any sense. I agree with that. And the bottom of his pants, the hemline of his pants. It's crisp. Crisp. Why Why is the hemline on your fishing pants crisp, Justice Alito? That doesn't make any sense. Inexplicable. It doesn't make any sense. Those pants are crisp. They're brand new matching pants. I mean, truly crisp. Not even a smidge of moisture at the bottom. And I'm zooming in. No, you can see like literally one splash of moisture that's like fresh. Like they did not get wet. Yeah. These are inside boys cosplaying as outside boys. And I think America needs to know the truth, which is that Samuel Alito has never been dirty in his life. He was handed a fish. (laughs) He was handed. I think he was. He was absolutely handed that fish. hundred percent. We will break that. I believe this with the same degree of certainty that I believe that Alito has been leaking to the Wall Street Journal for all of these years. Can I also say, and I'm I am sorry to say this, I would love him to leak the skincare routine because his outfit is pristine, but his skin does look luminous. <laughs> it is luminous. For an older man? That's what happens when you're an inside boy. Yeah. He's not going outside. He's not getting any sun. But I mean, he is red lighted, blue lighted. He has been microdermed. He's he is luminous. You are right. Yeah. His skin looks great. He's got good skin. Good skin, bad judge, bad person. <laughs> um, okay, that's what I'm feeling petty about this week. Dana. Yeah. Feeling petty or sanity corner? Sanity corner. This is maybe the most like grandma core thing I'm going to confess in my entire life. 
and I'm almost embarrassed to say this with public record, I've had bad handwriting my entire life. Like I just sort of have Dr. Chicken Scrawl. And I would love to be sort of an, an elegant lady who can like write cards that are like lovely and, you know, live my like little princess dreams. And so I realized that there's a, a woman uh, on the internet who was the calligrapher for the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. And she does private handwriting classes. <gasps> so I've been taking weekly handwriting lessons <gasps> from this wonderful woman named Cheryl Whoa, Avery. That's so cool. And I find it, it's very sanity corner because it's the type of thing where it's actually, it's quality, not quantity in your practice. So it's like, you should just go really slow just to get it because it doesn't matter how much you do because you're just trying to reinforce the habits really correctly. So uh, to me, as, as a speed demon type person who is like very impatient and tries to work very quickly, there's something very cathartic about like, quote unquote, homework that forces you it, it doesn't even matter how much you do each time. It's like, just do it for five minutes and do it very slowly as long as you do it correctly. And like, there's no, no one's ever going to see it. Like, it's just my own practice, but I find it very relaxing and meditative. Did you get hand cramps? No, I, I have, I don't really get hand cramps. Our first lesson was we like try a, di- a bunch of different pens Ooh. and see what feels right. And she sort of gets to choose. She like sees your handwriting and she's like, this is the sort of handwriting I think is like a natural fit with what your like natural stroke is. And it's just like, it's been very lovely. What a cool thing to be like really good at. That's very cool. I'm not good at it yet. This is like a very like grandma core thing I'm doing. And again, it's not even to be good and it's not for anyone to ever see. It's just for my own little, like, just like a little activity. What a cool lady to know now that you know a lady who like teaches handwriting. Like, that's awesome. I love that. I know, like a, a museum calligrapher. That rules, actually. Grace, bring it home. Sanity corner or feeling petty? So I am I am feeling very petty about this summertime treat. And I don't know if I've brought this up on Hysteria before. It irks me so much. It's possible that I have brought it up before. But summertime is the time for watermelon, okay? Seedless watermelon. I love it. Slather it with tahini. Give it to me all day long. Yum, yum in my tongue. What I dislike (laughs) is when watermelon (laughs) is marketed as seedless and you cut it open. And what do I see? But seeds. And I'm not just talking about the little white ones, which are annoying and count as seeds, by the way. I don't care if they're edible. They're crunchy. and I don't like crunch in my watermelon. I want it watery and a little crisp is fine, but not crunch. But you buy a seedless watermelon and they're straight up black seeds within the watermelon. I don't understand. This is like if we can create cotton candy flavored grapes. Like we, science has evolved so far that we can have a very specific type of flavor when we crunch into a grape. And yet we cannot get the seeds out of a seedless watermelon. I don't know what we're doing. It annoys me beyond belief. And I need my watermelon every summer. So this has been, this has been really troubling me, ladies. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's real. And now it's going to bug me too. So thank you for that, Grace. (laughs) Have any of you spent time in Japan? I know, Alyssa, you have. Watermelons are really, really expensive over there, right? Because they can't grow 
Oh, and they I have didn't to be know that. In and they're really heavy. Oh. Yeah, it's like it's super, super expensive. I've heard um, people who are from Japan coming to the states and being like, "What? <laughs> you just sell watermelon? <laughs> they're like, they're just free? Yeah, yeah. They're like eighty bucks there. <laughs> oh, they're wow. so expensive. Wow. Yeah, because they're so heavy. That's a good point. Difficult to transport. Yeah. It's like what in Greece, where everything is made of marble, but it's not because everybody's rich. It's because the marble comes from Greece, and it's really heavy and expensive to transport, and that's why marble is expensive. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. Grace, Dana, thank you so much for joining us this week on Hysteria. Thank you to Monica Potts for the interview. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die, per usual. And listeners, thank you for tuning in every week. If you want to get in touch, if you have a local story you think we would want to talk about in the news, if you've got something to add, hysteria at crooked.com is the way to reach us. And there will be more Hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. And thank you to Julia Beach, Ewa Okulate, Amelia Montooth, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 